I greet you in Jesus' name this morning, and I bring you greetings from the Caswell congregation. It's good to be with you again. It's been uh, quite a little while. The, uh, the song we were just singing, it, it asked, it was a prayer, and, and we asked God to teach us at least three or four different times some different things. And that's why we're here today, because we want to learn. We want to be taught. Um, it is, um, you know, sometimes we come to church to talk, and, and sometimes we come to listen. Um, I haven't talked at church yet this morning, but now it's my turn to talk, and it's your turn to listen. And uh, I'll try to be careful in what I say. I had a brother at home um, I think he was opening the church service here a couple of weeks ago, and he's one of these brothers that um, kind of just says whatever comes to his mind, and and he said that he's really had to learn that uh, he needs to put a speed bump between his brain and his tongue, and so I'll try to exercise that this morning and, and keep that speed bump in place and, and try to thoughtfully share uh, with you what I have to share this morning. I invite you to turn, uh, first of all, to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter uh, chapter 3, I'm going to begin by reading verses 13 to 17. <clears throat> and I'll be reading from New King James. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God <coughs> excuse me, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The title of the message is Offensive Christianity. And I want to define that word offensive because there's a couple of different meanings and I want to make it clear uh, which word I'm intending to use. Uh, the word offensive in this case meaning being the aggressive side or versus a defensive side, such as a ball team has a, a basketball game, you have an offensive, you have a defensive. Uh, not the obnoxious or causing displeasure part. So I want to make that clear. <clears throat> offensive Christianity. It goes without saying we're, we're living in interesting and changing times. There are uh, lots of of things that are changing around our world politically. Uh, we're seeing, um, I don't know if you'd call it upheaval, uh, but a lot of changes are taking place. Uh, some would say the economy is pretty fragile. Um, and there's also things that are, that are being pushed into the forefront that we never heard much about before, such as transgenderism, the LGBT movement, uh, 
um, and, and all of those things that go with it. <clears throat> if you think back up just a couple of generations, our, our fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers would be appalled at some of the, the things that are normal conversation today. Um, politically speaking, and, and maybe even um, spiritually speaking, uh, conservative voices are, are continually being silenced, suppressed. Uh, Christians are perhaps silenced and treated unfairly. Maybe you've experienced some of that yourself. <clears throat> and I've tried to give a lot of thought to this, and, and my, um, <clears throat> the reason for this message, pardon me while I get something out of my throat, <clears throat> the reason for the message is <clears throat> to have us think how we as Christians should respond uh, to all of these things that are happening around us. <clears throat> um, I've circulated some with <clears throat> a number of other people. I have friends and acquaintances in the evangelical circles. And they would tell me that we need to put up resistance. We need to fight um, or else we're going to lose everything. We're going to lose our conservative values. Um, and there's probably some truth to that. Another option would be, and this is typical of probably many Anabaptists <clears throat> today, is to just stay out of it. Keep ourselves removed from all of these things that are happening and um, maybe just keep doing what we've always been doing. Just kind of keep life as normal as possible and, and just try to ignore all of the things that are happening around us. And, and in hopes that our families and our churches will come through on the other side unscathed from all of the influences in the world around us. Just keep life as normal as possible. Well, I would, I would define that as defensive Christianity. <clears throat> that's just putting up a defense. And, and I'm not saying that's all entirely wrong. There is certainly value in maintaining normalcy in our homes and, and our families, especially if you have children, young children. Uh, they need that stability. They need to be protected from all of the the things that are happening in the world. I think you should be careful about the conversations you have at home with your children. Now, our children are mostly adults, and so we tend to have more adult conversations at, at home. But if you have young children, uh, that should be exercised with caution. But here is the danger is what I see, that we may find ourselves poorly equipped to, to face some of the issues that may come upon us, to face some of the things that um, may be happening. Now, a couple of Sundays ago, we had a prayer request uh, mentioned at, in our home church of a, um, a brother in uh, the Ukrainian church who was being called up for military service. And a prayer request went out, maybe you saw that, and we, we prayed for that brother in our congregation. And a few days later, I was able to share with the Brotherhood an answer to prayer that he was able to go and plead his cause before the, 
or his position before authorities and they let him go home. And we praise the Lord for that. But had he not been prepared to share what his position is and his understanding of the Bible and, and his understanding of what was happening in his country and, and what is happening there, um, it may have turned out differently. But I believe he, he went prepared and he also went with the power of the Holy Spirit to give him words to speak. And so um, I think it is important for us to, to be thinking about things that are happening around us. Maybe a, a crude example would be when I was growing up, I went to, uh, I went to public school and um, we'd often have fire drills in school. And these were a delight to many of us boys, young boys, we liked getting out of school for even if it was a short break. And so if you're sitting in class and you begin to hear the, the bell ring, uh, five short rings, you knew that was a fire drill. And so everybody's supposed to get up and in an orderly way go out of the school and, and meet at a certain designated place so everyone could be accounted for. And, um, and so, of course, we enjoyed that break in the monotony of school. Uh, but you see what that was doing was preparing us in the event that there was an emergency, there was something that would happen that everybody could be accounted for in an orderly fashion and, and everyone would be okay. In the same way, I think we need to make some proactive plans and be thinking about things in life uh, to, um, to maybe be a little bit more active in what we think about things that are happening around us. Now, I'm not suggesting at all that we become activists, but I do think it is profitable for us to seriously consider the issues that we're facing, that our children will be facing, our church will be facing, um, maybe in the near future, about things that we see and, and what we think about them. But more importantly, what does the Bible say about them? What does the Bible have to say about all of these things? And I think it's important for us to remind ourselves of, of, of the scripture and its truth and how it affects us and how it affects us and how we live um, in this world. It's sort of like if we go back to the illustration of the ball team, we now have the ball in our court. And it's time for us to play it. It's time for us to be Christians so that the world can see who Christians are and how we respond to the things around us. And we do well to remind ourselves of the unchanging principles in God's word. Now back to the passage that I read in 1 Peter 3. Um, he said, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to, to fear what's coming. There's a lot of people that live in fear. They, um, I think COVID exposed a lot of fear uh, that people live under. We do not need to live in fear about whatever comes. It doesn't matter what it is. He said, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. 
That's really the essence of, of this message, to be ready to give an answer, to give a defense. And in order for us to have that kind of answer, we need to, we need to know what we think about these things. We need to know what the Bible says. We need to know uh, what God says in his word about the issues that, that we face. Just because truth becomes unpopular, let's never shy away from telling the truth. The truth must be proclaimed, the truth of God's word. And we need to be able to live life confidently, um, not fearful, not troubled, but ready to defend what is our hope with a good conscience. Now what I'd like to do is just go back, and you may think this is a little bit elementary, but I think it's important for us to just go back to the Word of God and see what does the Bible say about some of these things that we see around us, even though you may feel like we're not really being affected directly by some of these things, but uh, just so we know what the Bible says, what God says about some of the issues that are under attack and that we see around us. And uh, the first one, that I want to talk about is marriage and gender identity. It's a big deal. It's a big thing. It's, it's being talked about in school boards. It's being talked about in, uh, there, there, there's an agenda that's out there to, to destroy uh, the, the, the principles that we see in God's word, to destroy the, the family unit as we know it and, and as we've lived it and grown up in it. <clears throat> And at some point or another, I'm sure it's going to affect us one way or the other. <clears throat> so what does God say about this? Well, we go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's what God did. Man didn't have anything to do with it. This was God's doings. He This goes all the way back to the... The very beginning of creation, he created two different human beings with two very different uh, makeup and, and personalities. It was God that did this. In chapter 2, verse 21, we read, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman and he brought her to the man and Adam said this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh this is God's work it's not man's work we do not get to set or change the rules. Um, it is his plan. Uh, man does not have the right to rewrite God's design. He designed it this way. And there is a beauty in what he created. And whenever a society begins to, to divert away from the plan of God, they begin to lose the beauty that God created. And it's happening all over. Uh, Jesus, by the way, emphasized the same point. He said in Matthew 19, uh, he was responding uh, to the uh, Pharisees there, I believe. He said, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? 
and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus was just going back to the very same thing that God had established in creation. And he was making that clear that that's, that's, what, that's part of the law that we follow. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul also brings out the same teaching. Verse 25 of chapter 5, he said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So here we see it's, it, it, there, there's actually a bigger picture involved here. It's not just simply a rule that God gave us to live by, but he had a, 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 an underlining purpose to illustrate his relationship and his love for you and I and for the church of Jesus Christ. And that's what marriage illustrates. And when we live under that rule of marriage, we are, we are being blessed by the, 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 uh, the promise that God has given us of, of how he loves us and how he wants to have a relationship with us so that we could be presentable to him without blemish, to be presented holy. And that's what he wants of each one of us. And so when we see these things happening in society, let's remember what God's word says about all of these things and let's be ready and willing to share it. And when and we run into people who are confused about these things, you know, say, well, here's what God's word says. And we don't need to be ashamed about it. And we can just share people exactly what the Bible says. Along with creating men and women differently and creating the marriage union, and we see all of the, those of you, especially that, that are married, you've, you, you see the, the beauty of, of how that works together. And, and yet we live in a society that wants to downplay femininity, if you will, trying to put everyone equal. And we have, you know, equality in the workplace and, and all of this and, and all of these things. But, you know, God has created a, a beauty in this separation that we need to acknowledge and highlight. And I'd like to highlight it by looking at one of the most uh, fascinating passages I think are in the Bible about a woman and, and, and how blessed you are to be um, a creation that God has made in such a different way than, than the rest of us men. And that is in uh, Proverbs chapter 31. Um, we have this description of a godly woman or a godly wife. And um, I'd like to read this uh, verses 10 to 31 in the uh, New International Version. It goes like this. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. 
She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindles with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Well, there's clearly a difference in genders here. This passage is far from describing me, but it sounds a lot like my wife. We need to acknowledge, to recognize those differences. And we need to hold that up as, as a banner for the world to see of, of what a godly woman can look like and, and what, how we as men can, can support them and, and promote that and not try to make everything equal and flat. <clears throat> In First um, Peter, um, also in First Peter chapter three, we back up to um, verse three and four. Peter also makes this comment about women. He said, "Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty." of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And to me, that's a beautiful passage. His point here, obviously, is that godly women should be focusing upon their heart and what's inside them instead of the outward things that the world goes after today. They're going after all of the, the glamour and the glitter, but the real character, the real beauty of a wife, of a godly woman, is what's inside, that quiet and gentle spirit. That's what needs to be highlighted, and that is what God says is precious in his sight. <clears throat> That's what we need to honor. It's what we need to promote. It's God's design. It's his plan. It's what he created. <clears throat> now a little bit about uh, children. This is another tragedy in our society, is what's happening to children all over the world, not uh, with, with this, um, the lack of concern 
for children. Uh, for one thing, abortion continues to claim the lives of hundreds of thousands of unborn babies every year in the United, just in the United States, uh, not to mention elsewhere in the world. For those who do survive and wind up going to public schools, they're being brainwashed, they're being indoctrinated uh, by all kinds of filth that's actually being pushed by school boards and teachers. Um, if you pay much attention to the news, you can't help but being appalled at some of the things that are happening in school boards and not just in the public meetings, but what must be happening behind the scenes as well. But there is obviously an agenda to indoctrinate and to control this younger generation and to take that control away from the parents. <clears throat> and then, of course, there's also child abuse, trafficking, and all of those things. We need to have a, a reminder of the beauty and the gift that children are. Whether they've been given to you as your own biological children or through adoption or whatever, these are gifts from God. And Jesus made that clear in Mark chapter 10. We read this, and they brought little children to him, speaking of Jesus, that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. And I can't help but imagine that those disciples felt a little bit ashamed at what they had just said. And maybe it was very innocent that they you know, felt like they had some important things to do. There was some important teaching that needed to take place. And sometimes it's time for the children to move on and go play elsewhere so that we can have adult conversations, if you will. Maybe that I'm just speculating. I don't know what they were thinking. But Jesus made it clear of the importance of children. And he said, no, don't send them away. Don't speak negatively toward the children, but he said, let them come. Let them come and listen. Let them learn. Do not forbid them because this is the kingdom of God. The children are the kingdom of God. They are the future of the church. They are the future generation for all of us. And he said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will not enter it. Those are some pretty strong words. And then by example, he took them up in his arms. He blessed them. And I can just imagine those children's meetings that he had with all of those little children around. And maybe it completely derailed what the disciples and the apostles were trying to accomplish. But that's the way it is when we're following Jesus. Sometimes our plans get derailed because we need to be focusing upon the things that Jesus wants us to focus on. We need to be focusing on the things that where he is, is leading us and guiding us and not of our own concoction. In Psalm 127, we read verse 3 to 5, Behold, children are a heritage of the Lord, from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. 
Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies at the gate. There's a huge blessing in having children. And all of our children have been a tremendous blessing in our life. It wasn't always easy. And child training is, is, a, is a big task. But as you reflect back, you see what the blessing it is that children bring to your life. Proverbs 17, verse 6. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. And I can say that with experience today. We have two grandchildren, and uh, they're glory to an old man. And I don't really consider myself old yet, but... You know, I did go to a um, a 40-year class reunion, so I guess that's kind of put me in that category a little bit. <clears throat> but as you grow older, you see more and more the blessings of that, of grandchildren and even great-grandchildren um, that are in our family circle as well. Well, we could probably go on about different issues that we're facing in society and and but those were were kind of the big ones i think we see around us the 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 danger to the family unit that that's happening in society that's going to affect not just marriage but also children and so i wanted to highlight those but i want us to think uh, now in the rest of the time here of how we we approach this how how do we um how do we live life as we face all of these things that are happening around us? First of all, we must understand what we're up against. We must, must literally understand what, what this is all about, where it's coming from. And I think we can learn that from Ephesians chapter 6. You can turn there if you like. Starting at verse 10. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having, your, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. Now back to verse 12. Is, this is where we see what we're up against. We're not just up against people who have some crazy ideas, but this is, this is what it is. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities powers 
uh, rulers of the darkness of this age. In other words, we're, we're up against an enemy who is very powerful and who's controlling all of these things that are happening. And he's doing it very systematically. And he wants to destroy the church. He wants to destroy the family. He wants to destroy you and me. And that is the devil, Satan. He, he's out to, to, to do as much destruction as he can because I believe that he realizes his time is short. I believe he realizes that, that he's got to make up some ground and, and, and he's, he's at work. That's what we're up against. It's not just flesh and blood, but it's principalities. And so how do we respond? Do we respond in fear and say, you know, what are we going to do about all of this? No, he's given us instruction. He's given us clear teaching of how we can go about this. And we do not leave, need to live in this in that kind of fear because he's given us the tools. He's, he's given us what it takes to go through life in spite of the principalities and, and the powers of darkness. And that's what follows here in, in verses 13 to 18. And we have, well, I highlighted eight things here that, that we are to stand with, that we take with us to help us. It's known as, as, as the Christian armor. And I don't want to just look at the armor. I want, to, want us to look at, you know, what does the armor represent? The first one is truth. We need truth more than ever. We need, we need to make sure that whatever we're doing is based upon the truth and the truth is in God's word. So we have it. He's made it available to us. We can know what truth is. And so we can look at any issue that comes in life. And we, and if we're reading our Bibles, we're studying, we, we know what truth is. We can recognize when there's false teaching. We should be able to recognize when there's something that does not line up with God's word. So we need to have truth. Secondly, we need to have righteousness. That's what uh, the breastplate is, is righteousness, right living, holy living. God has enabled us to live holy. He wants us, as we read about the church um, being an example of marriage, that we can be presented to him holy. We can live righteously. He's given us that, that gift, the gift of salvation, so that we can live in righteousness. Thirdly is the gospel of peace. He's given us that tool that we can carry with us to the world around us. When we run into people who are troubled about what's happening and they're troubled about the things that are happening in the world, we have a gospel of peace. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ that will bring peace in their life. As a young man that's uh, been attending our church quite regularly, and uh, he's lived a very unpeaceful life. Uh, in the past, involved in drugs and alcohol, and but he's on a journey, and and, and he's finding out what peace is like. He, he's beginning to live a life that is uh, filling him with peace and joy, and he has a purpose. That's what God comes to bring, and and that's what we can present to the world is that gospel of peace. The fourth one is faith, the shield of faith. Uh, we need to be exercising faith, faith in God, faith in what he has taught, faith in his word, and live it, live out our faith. The fifth one is salvation. Some of these are very closely tied together, the gospel of peace, righteousness. It's all tied in with salvation. Um, 
That is the helmet that we put on. We must never forget what we as believers have experienced personally through Jesus Christ. Let's never forget the work that he has done in our life because if we don't experience it, how can we share it with anyone else? And we need to experience it and, and, and relive it and bask in the salvation that God has given us. The sixth one is the word of God. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. And we have that, that, that double-edged sword. It's, it's sharp, it's, it's uh, cunning. It, is, it can divide and pierce into the hearts and, and minds of people. It is powerful and, and we need to use the word of God to read it, study it, meditate upon it, and be willing to share it with others. <clears throat> and the seventh, seventh one is, um, it says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. We need to, to just uh, totally cloak our lives in prayer. Uh, prayer for, for us individually and for our church, our churches, our families, um, and those all around us. Uh, those whom we interact with, just bathe them with prayer um, in communication with God. And then finally, H, he's, uh, eight is being watchful, um, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And it sort of circles back to the beginning of where I, I feel like we need to be aware of the things that are happening, being watchful, being alert uh, to the things that are, are happening in this uh, around us and, 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 and the potential that it has to affect us in our own personal lives and our churches and our families. <clears throat> to be watchful with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. James chapter 4, <clears throat> um, verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we don't need to be fearful of those powers of darkness. He said, submit to God, resist him, and he will flee. Do we believe that? Do, do we believe that's actually what will happen? goes on further. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, James was speaking to Jewish Christians and not all of them were walking with the Lord. This should be the content of our message as well to those who are not walking with the Lord. To submit to God, to resist the devil, to draw, invite them to draw near to him, to cleanse your hands of, of all the things that they have done and to, humble, uh, to purify your hearts and to humble yourselves before him. <clears throat> Some more admonition. Paul writes in Colossians uh, 3, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. <clears throat> For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Again, as I said, may we never forget what we personally have been delivered from. And let's always keep that in our minds and set those things above. Let's, let's set our minds on those things that are above, above all of the, the crazy things that we see around us in the world. <clears throat> you see, the offensive Christian will not simply sit back and do nothing, but he's going to do something. He's going to be active. <clears throat> Remember the, the parable of the talents. <clears throat> How one, they were, they were given different amounts. And, and two of them put, put theirs to work and, and, and brought back a return. But there's one that just hid his away and he was condemned because he didn't put it to use. And God has given us talents and I believe he wants us to be active. He wants us to be um, um, out here being a, a light to the darkness that is all around us. <clears throat> we should be actively preparing ourselves so that we truly can be the salt and the light that people would be looking for when they realize that they've been dis uh, disillusioned by the world and all of the, the propaganda. <clears throat> In Romans 13, verse 11, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. What better words could we use than that kind of admonition for how we face the world today? Our salvation is nearer than before. We don't know when, but we know it's near. We know it's close. We see the signs around us. It's rather obvious that it's, it's coming soon. And so we need to be active. We need to be prepared to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And so I'd like to conclude then with uh, a few verses in 2 Peter. <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 3. Beginning, uh, beginning at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. When all of these things are happening, when we see the the, the 
the world falling apart around us, and, and I don't think for a moment that it's going to get better. There's some people, even though I had some friends that, that really think that we, we have the, the ability to, to change the outcome and, and to make this world a better place, there are things we can do that we can make it better for ourselves, for our families, and for those around us. But the Bible tells us it's going to wax worse and worse. The world's on a decline. And, and we see that happening. So he says the question is, what manner of persons ought you to be? Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and without, uh, without spot and blameless. <clears throat> you see, if we are grounded in the word of God, that's, that's, that's our go-to place. We have the truth. We immerse ourselves in that. Then I think we will be prepared. We don't need to fear these things that happen. We will have a, a healthy and a wholesome view of life and a message to give to a world that has been disillusioned by everything around them. May the Lord bless you.